0: The following talk was given at the Insight Meditation Center in Redwood City, California. Please visit our website at audiodharma.org.
1: And so the uh, topic I thought of exploring today is kind of come out of some of the conversations we've been having this week. we've been exploring this week we've been exploring the hindrances in, uh, in our practice and in exploring the hindrances you know we do bump up against quite a bit of suffering <laughs> you know the hindrances tend to be those states of mind that are reactive that, that, that create struggle and suffering and stress in our experience and so as we're trying to explore being mindful of them we get a kind of a real dose of of suffering Now, this isn't a mistake. It's not a mistake that we're noticing the suffering. In fact, the Buddha, in his first, um, in what's said to be his first discourse to um, five of his companions, said, suffering, suffering exists, and it should be understood. And so this orientation to look at these Difficult reactive states and explore understanding them. Not thinking about them, not trying to figure them out, but exploring opening to, oh, this is the experience. Understanding it kind of from the inside, allowing it to show itself to us. And very naturally, I'd say, um, because we feel suffering as we connect to these difficult states of mind we kind of naturally move to wanting to get rid of them we are kind of impatient to have them transform we we want to figure out i mean we're doing this mindfulness in order to to fix this right i mean isn't that why we're 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 doing this to uh, to have these go away and yet the Instruction the Buddha offered of understanding is, it's different than pay attention in order that something will disappear or in order that something will go away. In effect, what, I, what I've come to recognize is that the, the perspective that the Buddha offers us for wise mindfulness, which is this um, receptive, allowing exploration of what is happening in the present moment with the curiosity of sometimes I I frame it as recognizing the human experience because we do start to see that our experience is a reflection of our humanity and not so personal and so this perspective of mindfulness the Buddha offers orients us to being curious about our human experience and being curious about suffering in particular, and how it's created, how it's put together. Much of our, um, what we call suffering, much of what we call suffering is not actually something that's objectively happening in the world. Much of what we call suffering um, we think it 's what 's happening in the world. we think it 's these things that people are doing, or this political situation or or the the mess of natural disasters we think that 's the suffering. those things are kind of you know the, the things that happen in the world are are the things that happen in the world and there is a kind of an understanding that experience, what we, what we come up against in our experience, it's impermanent, it's unreliable. It's not a place where we can land for any long period of time and find happiness. And it's uncontrollable. A lot of experience out there is uncontrollable. And when we bump up against those truths, we don't like them. We react. We get angry, confused, frustrated. we want to try to control it, to fix it, to change it. We want to hold on to things that are pleasant, get a little bit of that hit of feeling good. We want to get rid of things that are unpleasant. This reactivity to the nature of the nature of life is what the suffering is. It's, 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 this is the suffering that the Buddha is asking us to understand. And to understand actually that what's, what's out there, what we're asked to understand about what's out there is its impermanent, unreliable, and uncontrollable nature. And so we are opening to our experience to understand suffering, partly by allowing ourselves to really feel suffering, to connect with it from the inside, to open to, this is the experience of anger, this is the experience of hatred, this is the experience of confusion, this is the experience of frustration, this is the experience of pride. This is the experience of wanting. This is the experience of self-hatred, of depression. We're, we are asked to open to that with a, a heart that is willing to hold that this is part of human experience. There's a poem that I love by, um, I believe she was a nun several hundred years ago in Japan her name is Izumi Shikibu and the poem is probably a haiku-ish kind of poem watching the moon at dawn solitary mid-sky I knew myself completely no part left out This is is what we are asked to open to, is the entirety of humanity, of our human experience. No part left out. This is inherently a very healing kind of movement. This movement to not reject our reactivity, but hold it in a completely different way. This, this statement, I knew myself completely, no part left out, is acknowledging and recognizing all of ourselves. The, the practice of mindfulness. Sometimes we talk about wise mindfulness, which we could say brings this perspective. You know, there's different ways it's described, bringing this perspective of um, recognizing suffering, recognizing how suffering is put together. Recognizing the human experience, understanding that our experience is conditioned, these are ways of of holding a perspective of wise mindfulness. Another way to frame what we are doing is to instead of using the word wisdom, we could use the word love. We are exploring loving ourselves completely, allowing. Allowing everything to be here and yet in that allowing it's not that we're allowing and indulging and allowing so opening to hatred doesn't mean indulging in hatred and letting hatred run rampant. It means opening to it and recognizing ah, this is what it feels like to be a human being experiencing hatred. No part left out this feeling is already here. It's arising. In some ways, you know, when we are, when we are experiencing something, a, a hindrance of some kind, when we're experiencing uh, a reactive experience, it's already happening. It's already here. It's already arising. It's already part of us. And so opening to the possibility of allowing. Allowing awareness, perhaps. Loving awareness, maybe, is a, is, a, is a phrase that we could explore. What does it mean to hold hatred with a loving awareness? What might that mean? How might that feel? I said in the guided meditation that in the language of the Buddha, the words for heart and mind are the same word. And so there's a very deep connection between this mind that observes and the heart that holds. We, we, we in the West tend to have a, a separation between these two. But I think that this kind of looking at wise mindfulness as being pretty much the same as allowing mindfulness, loving attention... Allowing attention helps to point to that connection of heart and mind in the practice. You know, if we... we, um, we, We often want to be loved and we feel in some ways that we're not complete unless we are loved. And we feel that we need something from somebody else. We need someone to love us. And what, what, do we th- what, what, what does that mean to us? What does it mean when we, we want somebody to love us? It, it's often we'd wish for somebody to love us unconditionally. That's kind of, you know, our, our heart's desire to be loved unconditionally. And that means that we're loved no matter what's here we're loved for our fullness of ourselves no part left out and what I'd like to propose is that the loving awareness that possibility of meeting ourselves in this way it's 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 possible for us actually to love ourselves in this way that probably no one else is going to be able to do that for us. Maybe somebody, some partner, or a, a mother, or a grandmother can get close to that unconditional love and yet there's probably always aspects of ourselves that aren't known or aren't seen. And that is, in some ways, what we want when we want to be loved, is to be fully seen. I want to be seen. I want to be known. I want to be, be recognized. That's sometimes what we, what we are, are yearning for in connection, in love. And no one can see us as clearly as we can see ourselves. I've had a, a kind of a, a really a transformative experience in my practice where I recognized that that wish to be loved. It was uh it was a, I just talked about it a couple days ago or maybe even this morning. Um, that wish to be loved. I had a, a kind of an unrequited love and. Um, I felt this connection with this person but it wasn't coming back it wasn't being returned and in exploring that that connection that feeling of loving someone but not being loved in return there was all kinds of stuff in there fear feeling like I shouldn't be feeling these feelings because that person didn't respond didn't reciprocate the feelings there was a feeling of this is inappropriate I shouldn't be feeling these feelings And yet at some point in this exploration of the whole mess of this I found a kind of a fear I noticed a fear and I felt the fear just fall away and in that moment there was this just like wish going out for a, a kind of a connection of love towards that person just this wish may you be happy without any need for anything in return And in that moment, there was a a beautiful feeling of that connection. But the surprising piece, and the the really transformative piece for me in that moment, was the recognition that that feeling of loving, in this case, of loving someone without needing anything in return, that feeling was the feeling I had been looking for, for for someone else to give me. And it, was, it, wasn't, it wasn't available for someone else to give me. It was available in this heart to offer itself. And so this exploration of loving attention, in that case it was an exploration of what's here. You know, this feeling of, of fear, of this is inappropriate, this feeling of pulling this connection to this person. Big mess, big tangled mess. And yet, allowing the whole thing, holding it with very soft mind, allowing it, created the conditions for a transformation to happen, for an understanding to happen about about love, about how this practice is intimately connected with love. And that love is completely nonjudgmental. It's the very definition of metta is unconditional love, unconditional acceptance. And it's available in this heart. It's possible. It's a very natural movement of our hearts, but it's all kind of... It's misunderstood, it's confused it gets it gets mixed up with these ideas of things we want and things we think we need, and so there's a lot of misinterpretation in there, and so the practice of this allowing loving attention kind of is a it's like it's almost like a warm bath in which some of that messiness can start to to untangle and so the practice of of mindfulness itself, of exploring, allowing, opening to whatever is here, opening to anger. Oh, can I hold anger with loving attention? With this process, we are strengthening this capacity for this open heart, this connected heart, this heart of unconditional love that actually doesn't have an object. It just... In, in, in stepping into that unconditional love, you, it, it, it equally radiates ourselves as others. It's, it's an equal opportunity love. And so that's a piece of... A piece of the... The... Uh, for me at least, the inspiration of this exploration of all the hard stuff that I know that as I'm holding it that the mind that's holding it is strengthening, strengthening that quality and that capacity for allowing and love. And so that's one side of the, of the practice in some way. Another side of the practice is what's kind of revealed as we, <laughs> as we open to these messy things. You know, hatred and anger and depression and confusion and fear. As we open to those, we might think that they're kind of like a, a tumor something that's bad all the way through and needs to be somehow removed I certainly felt that way about my anger and my aversion it was so strong and so pervasive and, and it felt so bad it felt like there cannot be anything possibly that's worth anything in that feeling or depression you know just just meeting our experience and you know the the feelings when we meet them with mindfulness they do hurt these reactive emotions they hurt they ache they feel constricted tight hard there's pain as we open to these difficult experiences. And this is part of how the understanding grows, how the understanding transforms us. Because when we're not mindful of these states, Our minds are doing all kinds of machinations of trying to figure out... We've got all these strategies that we have practiced for much of our lives. So for me, with, around anger, for instance, one of my strategies was to blame the other person or to feel like they're somehow... You know, that, that, that they're, they're wrong, they're bad, and this anger is going to make them so miserable... And that's what they deserve. And while the mind is kind of caught in that story, it's not really aware of the inner pain of the anger. And so it it thinks, our minds habitually think that that they're getting something out of these patterns and habits. They think that, that the continuation of those habits and patterns is somehow worthwhile. And so as we begin to, feel into the pain of them, our heart gets a different lesson. And uh, our heart begins to recognize, oh, and, and I remember so clearly the first time I really, really saw, oh my gosh, this hurts me, this anger. It's like, it was obvious when I saw it, but, you know, it was kind of like a, really, why does the mind keep doing this? Why does the mind keep doing this? Because it hurts so much. Partly it keeps doing it because we have been unaware that it hurts so much. And so this is a piece of our mindfulness practices that we actually contact the suffering of the reactivity. We contact it. We meet it, hopefully with this allowing, loving container in which it can we we can have a different relationship with it. And then as we find our way to having that different relationship rather than either indulging or repressing, you know, the Buddha talked about the middle way and it's, I kind of think of it, one way to look at it, it as the mindfulness that we explore around reactivity, for instance. It's, we could look at it as, it's neither buying into and expressing, kind of feeding, indulging that reactivity, nor is it repressing. So again, it's the no part left out as far as the not repressing. But it's not no part left out, yay, let's go with that anger. It's a different thing. It's holding it with this this loving awareness. And so as we, we explore that possibility, as we begin to... Find that middle way between repression and expression, between indulging and repressing. We find a middle way where it's not repressing, but it's allowing, it's receiving, it's meeting. Then what happens there is that this takes trust. And that, so, you know, this, this holding of our experience with this loving awareness takes a kind of trust because it feels so um, unfamiliar to us to, to, to sit and rest with this kind of pain. And so it takes some trust to, to hang there with that, to sit and rest with that pain. And if we can then we'll start to see the kind of way that reactivity has been put together. We'll start to see what it's made of, how it's constructed. And what I have seen so many times is that when I'm willing to hold a reactivity, a difficulty, that the, you know, it's like, it's, I, I called it like a warm bath, and it's like things begin to reveal themselves, and different layers of the patterns begin to emerge, and, you know, core, core beliefs, core views, core emotions, core feelings kind of begin to bubble into the surface. This takes time, it does take time, so it takes patience and trust to allow this. It's, it, it, it doesn't often happen the first time we bring our mindfulness to a difficult state. It's, it's kind of more that, you know, a knot that might unravel over time with a, a lubricant as it's, sitting in that lubricant. So it's a slow process. But one of the pieces that I've seen over and over again that's very deep, foundational piece of most reactivity, perhaps even all reactivity, is that at some place in the middle of that reactivity is the wish for well-being, is the wish For happiness is the wish for safety, is the wish for ease. And that is a wholesome wish. It has just gotten confused, it's gotten tangled and knotted. And so our suffering is like this tangle of of threads, of knots, and some of those threads. Tied very deeply back to love. And so the, the other way that love comes into this practice, the heart comes into this practice, is that at least I've seen over and over again that as I'm willing to hold something really challenging, at some point... There is a, a a recognition of the deep connection to love. I'll give a couple of examples of this from my own practice. So there was um a period of time when I was meditating at a monastery in Burma. It was a long retreat, probably seven seven weeks or so and uh good chunk of that time, there was quite a bit of what I'd call low-grade depression. And um, I worked with it, I practiced with it, I held it, I acknowledged it. uh, in In the exploration of the hindrances I talked about this week, I've said, notice it's there, notice when it's not there. I was doing that. I was noticing when it's there and when it wasn't there and actually i began seeing at times oh it's not there and then and then maybe just feeling the just the little creeping in of it so seeing it start to arise and and just being curious about it just really bringing that loving attention to this over the course of several weeks watching this this feeling of depression and i noticed at times it was interesting at one point i noticed that there there seemed to be this um intensification of the feeling of depression when I saw pairs of people walking together, having a conversation. And we, we had, we were, it was a, a monastery in which speaking was allowed and so there were times of day when people would pair up and have conversations, mostly Dharma conversations and sometimes I'd be walking alone and I'd see these pairs and that this feeling of depression would, would intensify. And boy, I had all kinds of stories about that, about, oh, this means, this means that, oh, this goes back to when I was a kid and, you know, when I was alone on the playground and not, you know, not feeling like I, was belong- I, w- I belonged. And I had all these stories about that, you know, that this depression somehow connected to that whole set of stuff. And potentially it was related, but I decided to just let that be at the side. It's like, okay, I'm, I'm yeah, maybe, maybe, I don't know. <laughs> maybe that's what that's about, but let's just see. And so just continued watching and, and, and explored more fully the feeling, the feeling of the depression. And then at one point, it felt like the, the mind had gotten so easeful with, being that, with that feeling of depression, that heaviness, or just like the heart feeling a little bit, kind of repressed almost. Um, at some point, um, that feeling was so met with love, with that loving attention, that it felt like the feeling of that depression just began to grow. It was like the, the awareness was big, holding it. And it was like the feeling of the depression felt like it grew to fill that space. I was just like feeling, it's like, wow, it's getting bigger. But I didn't like clamp down on it. It was just like, oh, wow, this is, this is interesting. What's happening here? And it was just like this feeling of the expanding, this expanding depression. It just got bigger and bigger. And at some point, it was like the whole thing flipped inside out. The whole experience flipped inside out and instead of depression I was sitting in the middle of a field of metta, of love. Expansive metta. The very next thought in my mind it was beautiful. I mean there was a moment of just like delight and joy with that feeling. The very next thought in my mind was this is stupid, this is sappy, this is corny. And in that moment of seeing that belief arise around this just amazing state of mind, it's kind of like, oh, wow, oh, there's work to do here. And there was the recognition or the understanding that potentially that depression had been because the mind is, has this view that somehow expansive feelings of love and connection are somehow corny or sappy. Now, that was not what I expected to find in the middle of the depression. And it was the allowing that revealed it. And so this is, this is a big thing that I, I try to encourage people so much in practice is to be willing to be surprised, basically. To be, let go of your ideas about what might be in there and be willing to let it show up. And so often, in, in the middle of a messy, reactive thing, is some form of love. Another example, you see, i got a couple of them I wrote down, let me pick which one. Um... In September of 2001, I was visiting my family during the attacks on the World Trade Center. And so I was there when the planes were all shut down and I had a flight back. And I was fortunate in that my flight was scheduled two days after the planes restarted so it was like i think september 23rd or something that my flight was scheduled for but you know the planes hadn't been flying very long you know that was like the second day and this was you know this was an agitating time i felt and and i had a, a layover um and my plane was late leaving um where my parents lived. And I, I, I had a connecting flight through Houston. And so uh, I, was, I, was, I was late arriving in Houston and I had to stay the night in Houston. And um, in the middle of the night, so I was at a hotel at George Bush International Airport. And all the lights went out in the hotel. And I looked out of my window and as far as I could tell, the lights... In Houston, were out. It was a pretty broad power outage. It wasn't just the hotel, and so fear <laughs> was pretty strong. I my mind went to terrorist attack immediately, and um, you know this is George Bush was the president at the at the time. I'm at George Bush International Airport. I thought, what better kind of place to carry out a terrorist attack. <laughs> and so my mind was just kind of going nuts with this idea. And to um, to settle the mind, I decided, and, and it was just creating all these amazing scenarios, it was really running rampant with this terrorist thing. And it was very dark. <laughs> it was very dark. I, I had a, an Indiglo watch. And, and that's how I would navigate my way around the room. I'd use my Indiglo watch. That was all I had for light. And I had this this idea of all all of the people in the hotel being asked to like come into the hallways and with all of us with our Indiglo watches. I mean, I was like, the mind was creating these, these stories and these scenarios. And, and, um, and I, I, re- I recognized, okay, nobody's knocking on my door okay, the fear is still here and I just kept kind of opening to the fear and at some point the mind shifted to doing metta to actually, it, it was kind of like, I don't know, it, I don't typically shift to metta but the mind did that. The mind shifted to metta and the, the phrase that came to mind was, may I be safe. May all beings be safe. And when my, my mind said that, it's like, yes, that is what I want here. The, and there was a way in which the heart could hold that wish without a contraction of, oh no, it's not possible there's a terrorist attack happening. It's like, no, okay, this is the wish. And and recognizing the wholesomeness of that wish. And so the mind kept kind of bouncing back and forth between the fear and this wish, and the fear and that wish, and I began to understand that the fear was kind of layered on top of the wish. The fear was a misunderstanding, essentially, of the really deep nature of that wish. I've seen this kind of thing happen over and over again in my practice when I am am able to hold my reactivity with this loving attention this kind of transformation that we don't expect, this kind of gift, actually, to point out to us that even in the midst of anger and hatred and confusion or depression or fear, there's a wish for well-being for ourselves and others. And it's not that the entirety of it is... like a cancer, it's kind of more like it's a tangle. And it's really asking to be untangled. The tangle is because of confusion, because of misunderstanding. And that misunderstanding is what the Buddha's instructions for wise mindfulness help us to bring a different perspective. So that that wise understanding, that loving attention helps to bring a different perspective to these, which allows this transformation to happen. Watching the moon at dawn, solitary, mid-sky, I knew myself completely no part left out. So those are the reflections I have to offer this evening. Are there any comments or questions or reflections?
0: This may not be a very wise or a smart comment to make, but I just have to get it out of my system. <laughs> you mentioned um, unconditional love. I've thought about that now and then. I didn't quite understand that. Unconditional love. Unconditional I've, love. Uh-huh. I've thought about that. You've thought about and unconditional and, love. Yes. Uh-huh. And it seems to me that it's the... Biggest, one of the biggest myths that ever existed out there. Kind of similar to Santa Claus. It doesn't exist. I've never seen it. But people kind of like to hold on to it or reach for it or believe that it's out there. Just like Santa Claus. I or similar ha- to I, Santa I have Claus. to
1: disagree with you. Because I, uh, the experience of that unconditional love, that possibility has happened in this being. I felt it for moments. It's not where I live always, but I have felt its possibility. So, it is, there is a possibility. It's the, the thing that's in the way of it is delusion, ignorance, confusion, greed, aversion. And that is rampant. Greed, aversion, and delusion in this world are why that unconditional love seems like Santa Claus. And and greed, aversion, and delusion are... They are very widespread. And we see that when we look in our own hearts. We see that. We see how much confusion and greed and... And uh, uh, not wanting things to be a certain way is here, and that actually opens us to some measure of compassion because we begin to recognize it 's not just it 's not just this heart that 's doing this it 's multiplied by eight billion, something like that, not quite eight billion yet, I guess, but it is it 's eight billion. It's like multiplied by eight billion, this greed, this aversion, this confusion. There are times when I've looked into my heart and seen that anger and seen that movement to wanting that person to be miserable when I'm angry and recognizing, oh my gosh, this is the seeds of war right here in this heart. No wonder there's a mess in the world. Now that inspired me to explore the possibility of as much as possible releasing it here, releasing this hatred, releasing this aversion in this heart. Because it will have an effect. Greed, aversion, and delusion are contagious. And so is love. And so is compassion. And so I'm, I'm sorry, or I, I feel the pain of that, your, your sense that it's not possible.
0: I haven't seen it, and the response usually I've had from people, I haven't made this comment often, but a couple of times I have, the response usually has been, oh, what about mother's love? Mother's love is unconditional." I'm like, no, it's not. The biggest condition is that you have to be their child. <laughs> That's a condition, and you are basically a piece of them. You are a mini version of them. That is the condition, so it's not unconditional. I, I, would, I
1: would agree with you that <laughs> and that's why I didn't I didn't say a mother's love. There's so many examples of that not being <laughs> unconditional. Um this, this unconditional love is a very, very high order of love. And it is not present much in this world. And yet I have I have complete confidence that it is possible. The
0: closest I've come to seeing it, the closest, is like, I love babies. And I consider it unconditional. But honestly, I love them because they are innocent and they are cute. Yeah, exactly. So again, there's yeah. a condition. I mean, we, we
1: recognize the conditions. But you, 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 you get a little taste of that. You get a little taste of that possibility. I mean, babies are really good teachers for, for mudita, for, for joy. I mean, it's like, because there's it's like you know, there's, there's, there's not much that they can do to harm us. <laughs> <laughs> exactly exactly <laughs> it's easy to love them and so that's a condition yes exactly it is and so there and so i'm i'm glad that you see that you know what a lot of pe- times people do call unconditional it's not unconditional and yet there is a deeper form of love that that is mind blowing is mind blowing and i don't even think i've touched the deepest bit, part of it I think I've just tasted a little tiny taste of it, and it's like, wow, that's amazing. If everybody could feel that, it's like feeling that, it's like, yes, may all beings know that. There's just this deep wish that all beings would have the taste of that because it would change the world. Yeah. So well, thank you for your thank comments. Yeah. You. Yeah, behind you. I just, <clears throat> I just wanted to say that, but um, um, that I too have had something of this, exp- have touched a little bit this experience. Um, so I would like to affirm what you're saying and agree with what you're saying, and just I'm just saying this so that I can kind of throw out a little bit more hope <laughs> here into this. That um, and and the the practice is the path that will open us to it. Yeah. And and there are other ways too. I mean, uh, my understanding. I mean that many. Many of the religions have this understanding of unconditional love and um, there are different ways to find it. This is, this is the path that has opened it for me. Yeah. Other comments or questions or thoughts, reflections? Yeah. Why don't you just pass them?
0: like if you're in a difficult situation, would you try to cultivate some of these Brahma-Vaharas as a way of, I almost want to use the word counteracting, but that doesn't feel right.
1: Um, It really depends. I mean, part of what I'm pointing to here is that when you're in a difficult situation, the practice of mindfulness is bringing that love to it already. So um, what I would say is that if, if you find yourself overwhelmed by, by the whatever it is, whatever's happening, by the reactivity, and you find it available to bring in perhaps reflections. Sometimes we can bring in reflections of may, may I be at ease with this or may, I, may you have ease with this suffering or, or something. Sometimes a compassion phrase can be a little more resonant than a metaphrase. You know, may I be happy when I'm in the midst of feeling anger. That hasn't worked very well for me. But may I be at ease with this suffering is there's a, there can be a little more resonance. And so sometimes a compassion practice can be, can be um, supportive. Um, I've had for myself earlier in my practice um, I found that shifting from a reactivity to a Brahma Vahara was a big leap for this mind. Um, uh, other people I've talked to, I mean, I, I check it out with people, you know, it's like, if you find that when you're reactive, if you can connect with, oh, may I be at ease, may I be happy, use that as a balance. It can support you. If if it, if your mind is is willing to go there. So that's that's what I would check. It's like it's it, all, all minds aren't willing to go there. Mine wasn't for, for many years. It, um, if I had some kind of reactivity going and I tried bringing in metta, compassion was easier, but if I tried bringing in metta, which is said to be the traditional antidote to anger, you know, metta for the person or metta for yourself, um, if I tried bringing in the, the metta, it was kind of like that part of my mind that was feeling the anger felt like this isn't a no part left out practice. This is a you're telling me I can't feel this practice. <laughs> so it was kind of like the, 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 the way my mind initially held the metta was, was that these two things couldn't exist together. And so it was very um, conflicted. So it created, it like created a, a, a real tightening and a pain when I tried to do that. So for myself, I found shifting to something neutral. If there was a lot of reactivity and there was overwhelm, then shifting to something neutral um, where I could just be mindful of something neutral. And I've, I talked, I've talked about this quite a bit this week, this kind of uh, the not now practice, you know, bowing to it. I see you, not now, I'm going to pay attention to something else right now. So it's a very gentle kind of like, you can stay in the room with me, but I'm going to put my attention on my feet right now. It's like giving giving a child a timeout, you know? I've done this with kids sometimes. It's like, yeah, you know, not now. I will get to you after I'm finished with this, and I'm going to pay attention to this right now. You can stay in the room with me, but I'm going to pay attention to this right now. That kind of, you know, just like letting it be okay that they're there, but putting your attention on something else. And that, that's got a number of... Um, I've seen actually quite a bit of transformation happening around reactive emotions through that simple practice of, not now, I'll bring my attention to something else. Partly because you're still... This is, this is, we'd call it, we could call this a mindful uh, distraction You're distracting yourself with something, but using mindfulness to do that. So bringing your attention to something with mindfulness. And that mindful distraction, again, because we're exploring that receptive, allowing attention, it's cultivating that quality of of love, of allowing, of caring for our system. It's, it's a caring kind of to let this rest with us, even if we're turning our attention away from it. So it's not a hostility to that. And so it's still, it is, it is cultivating the Brahma-viharas to just do the mindfulness practice. And for me, that was my doorway to the Brahma-viharas. Um until the mind opened with mindfulness to enough love of, through the loving awareness, it wasn't really ready to fully open to the brahma Viharas, And so that, that's possible for some people. For some people, the, the brahma Viharas are a doorway. You know, that in some ways the, the connection with may you be happy, may you be at ease feels like a, a, a skill or a, a kind of a, a natural... Um, capacity that might be able to be used to hold something in balance so you really kind of have to look in your own mind does it feel like that you know if you if you have that reactivity going and you bring in meta, does it feel like it's repressing the reactivity if it is I'd say that 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 may not be the most skillful approach um But if it feels like it can hold that reactivity and bring in the metta, go for it. Yeah. And now it's time to stop. Thank you for your attention.